Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. is the New Year's Eve jihadi, and why should we care? Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, your terrorist therapist. Now, you may have heard about the attack of two policemen in Times Square on New Year's Eve. Um, But if you blinked, you might not have heard of anything more about it. The mainstream media doesn't like talking about terrorists. And in fact, uh, you know, when this first happened, of course, they do everything uh, in any kind of an attack to try to downplay the possibility that it could be a terrorist, a radical Islamist terrorist. Um, But uh, some information has been coming out, and this is a really interesting story. The name of the young man who attacked the police, right, right close to where the ball drops, you know, just outside the perimeter where they check you, you know, what you're carrying and so on, because he was carrying a machete and they might have noticed that. Um, His name is Trevor Bickford. He's 19 years old and um, he stabbed two policemen with a machete and um, he was carrying a a manifesto, which I'll tell you about. Um, The news, the reason why, or the most um, recent news about him is that um, they just charged him just a couple of days ago. They charged him with terrorism. Before that, they had charged him with attempted murder and so on, but um, they waited, (laughs) what, they waited at least a week to charge him with terrorism, which was pretty obvious from the beginning what it was, because he was carrying a manifesto in his backpack, and that made it clear, and I'm going to tell you what was in that. So he was a lone wolf. Um, He um, was on the FBI watch list, which is so typical, you know, of these attacks um, that people are on the watch list and nobody's watching. Um, let's see. Now, why why should we care? Okay, we should care. I mean, f- fortunately, um, let me just tell you, the two police were not. Uh, they were injured and they were taken to the hospital, but they survived. As did Trevor, who was stabbed by a third cop, uh, stabbed in the shoulder by a third cop, and he was taken to the hospital too, and he survived as well. Um, So why should we care? Because first of all, um, he could be considered either the first jihadi of 2023, give or take a couple of hours, it was right before the ball dropped, or the last jihadi of 2022, whatever you would like. But 
this is a stark reminder um, of the fact that, it, as I say pretty much in every podcast, that terrorists, um, you know, have not forgotten about us. We may have forgotten about them because of um, COVID and all of the other things that are going on in the world. But um, jihadis are still very much intent on taking over the West and instituting Sharia law and all of that. So um, why this is significant in particular is that we have had a, a lull in attacks um, pretty much non-existent, at least in America, or at least that we are recognizing as jihadis, you know, radical Islamist attacks. Um, but because of COVID, you know, because there haven't been people out on the streets and so on, which is, or in the typical places, concert halls and things like that, where uh, jihadis go to um, find, be able to uh, have an attack with the biggest number of dead and injured. So um, there has been this lull. But um, now, you know, that we are coming out of our little homes uh, after lockdowns, there is more opportunity for um, attacks. Now, this attack, as I will be telling you about, it wasn't just any kind of random attack. He didn't just uh, stab two random people in the crowd. He was particularly looking for uh, police because he wanted to find men in uniform. And I, I will tell you about that. Now, um, during COVID, during the lockdowns, there are uh, a lot of people, particularly teenagers, who have felt, you know, because schools were closed and so on, who have felt disenfranchised and who are looking for uh, some purpose in life and something to belong to. Now, some of the teens may decide to um, become, you know, the trend of the uh, becoming trans or becoming non-binary or all of that, you know, which is a trend um, happening, perpetrated <laughs> by teachers and others. Um, so that's one way, one choice that teenagers make as to, to try to belong or to have a purpose. But um, Trevor Bickford, the teenager in this New Year's Eve attack actually chose radicalization. He chose um, to find his purpose and meaning and something to belong to as radical Islamists. So, you know, it's it's not really a surprise that um, there was an attack at New Year's Eve because every year, and I've talked about this in prior podcasts in regard when it gets close to New Year's Eve, all of the uh, terrorist organizations put out on online uh, calls for lone wolves to attack during the Christmas holidays um, and, and on New Year's Eve. You know, this is not the first time that they've asked, um, <laughs> pleaded for lone wolves to attack on New Year's Eve in Times Square. So this is what um, Trevor Bickford, the jihadist in Times Square, wrote um, in his uh, he had a handwritten note in his backpack. And basically, he's asking his family to, quote, please repent to Allah and accept Islam. So he said, he also you know, had specific things, uh, specific messages for his mother and his two brothers. So he said, um, quote, to my family, specifically mother, I'm sorry for not having been a good enough son. 
I fear greatly that you will not repent to Allah, and therefore I hold hope in my heart that a piece of you believes so that you may be taken out to the hellfire. Now, it's a little unclear if he means he wants her to, to go to the hellfire or to be taken out of to escape the hellfire. Um, then he said to his brother, Travis, of anyone I've known who I have felt is closest to faith, it's you. Of anyone I've ever wanted to accept Islam with me, it's you. Please repent to Allah and accept Islam. I fear for you. Then to his other brother, the one who is in the U.S. Marine Corps, Devin, he wrote, There was a time when we were close, but that time has passed. You have joined the ranks of my enemy, and for that I can give you no kind words. Return to Allah. Now, he had in his backpack, um, so he, he, oh, I, he, he was born and raised in Maine. He traveled from Maine by Amtrak to come to New York uh, just days before the attack. And so he carried in his backpack this handwritten note, his manifesto, as well as a collection of religious material, you know, clearly um, Islamic uh, material, although the mainstream media doesn't mention that, and $200, um, a diary, and a last will and testament. Now that is important because um, really what he was looking for and expecting was to be killed by these cops. So you know how people, some people look for suicide by cop. He was looking for martyrdom by cop. He stayed in the Bowery Mission in Manhattan for a few days before the New Year's Eve, before he um, made this attack. Then he was taken to the hospital. They were all taken to Bellevue, by the way, my alma mater, and um, which is why they survived. <laughs> and then, um, and then he was taken to jail. And as I was saying, he was kept in jail until finally, uh, this past Friday, he was the a grand jury found him guilty of terrorism. Um, he wanted to attack, quote, a uniformed officer, unquote, or, quote, someone with a gun, unquote, because he believed those people to be an, quote, enemy of the state. Now, he's not talking about um, America as the state. He's talking about Islam, the Islamic state. So um, <clears throat> he had converted to Islam. Um, and he was angry at his brother, Devin, because he had joined, quote, the, the ranks of my enemy, the U.S. military. So now the really interesting story is how he came to think this way. Um, he was once a typical all-American teenager who, quote, once made the school honor roll, won awards for his artwork, and was a member of the championship football team in his hometown of Wells, Maine. This town um, is reportedly a very small town. Um, it's a, a, a tourist town, you know, sort of an all-American type town. And he had an all-American type life uh, up until his father died in 2018 of a drug overdose. Now, after that happened, he was basically disenfranchised, um, you know, uh, alone, lost. And um, 
because not only had his father died, but his mother soon, and they haven't, I haven't been able to find when, but apparently too soon, married a new husband. And then, um, so she wasn't able to, you know, provide him with the love, uh, enough love, although clearly she posted things on social media showing how much she loved him. But anyway, she was distracted, at least, by her new husband. And then her brother was, his brother was away in the military. And then, um, you know, it's unclear about his other brother. You know, they didn't seem to be too close, but, or at least he didn't seem to be enough to... Um, to comfort or to pay attention to Trevor. Um, clearly his father's death, not just a death, but a, a death by an overdose of drugs was extremely traumatizing. And that's when he converted to Islam. Um, he, he, uh, he, he was described as having been believed to have quote, found religion in recent years after his father's death. And he became radicalized at least a month ago. Um, and I'll tell you how they're coming to that conclusion. That's, um, that's well, that's when his mother reported him to the FBI, to the police, in, in the local police, and then they reported it to the FBI. However, uh, clearly they were not watching him when he got on the train to go to New York with his machete. Um, okay. Let me see. So that this is, the, and that is the um, most interesting part of the story, his life before he went to on this rampage uh, at New Year's Eve. Um, he was a typical Maine boy who loved wrestling, loved the NFL. He had dreamed of becoming a soldier before his father's death because his family, apparently th there was that uh, tradition in the family. And um, Let's see. Um, not only he not only played football, but he was a member of the championship football team in his hometown. Uh, all the things that you you know, <laughs> really typical all American kinds of things. Um, you know, between the honor roll and the champion football player, and all of these things that I'm mentioning, these are you know typical American Americana, right? So you would think this is someone who had a bright future ahead of him, that he was going in the right direction in any case. Um, but after his father's death is when he, he, um, after his father's death is when he, his life descended into turmoil. And as I was saying, he was kind of adrift. Um, let's see. He was on the FBI's terrorism guardian watch list. Uh, he told his aunt he was going to travel to Afghanistan to fight for the Taliban or other terrorists. Um, and I'll tell you more about the aunt had a lot to say that we get a lot of information from the aunt. Um, he didn't, ha he doesn't have a criminal record, at least not one that the police have been able to find so far. Um, let's see. He, oh, he also sang in the choir and he marched with the color guard. I mean, could this be any more American? And what, what one kid these days today, today does all of these um, wholesome kinds of things. Like he would be the, the least likely, you know, if they had a vote in his high school, who would be the most likely to uh, uh, go to Times Square and um, try to kill two cops with a machete? I don't think he would have been the one that they would have voted for. 
Um, let's see. Now, before his father killed himself with a drug overdose, he posted photos of his sons and their achievements. He was very proud of his sons. And he posted that on social media. And family and friends praised the boys and thought that they had a bright future. His father was only 41 years old when he killed himself. And that, of course, is the key to this whole mystery, why his father killed himself. And I have <laughs> researched and researched, you know, they're, they're not telling at this point um, why that happened. Now, here's another an interesting tidbit. Uh, his parents, um, Thomas and Audra Dantillo, Dantilio, married on September 9th, 2001. Does that ring a bell? Two days before 9-11-2001. Now, um, clearly, you know, can you imagine you get married uh, on one day and two days later is 9-11? Clearly that would have affected their whole relationship. And this, these children, you know, the sons would have um, known, understood, been impacted by um, this this irony or this tragedy really um now the the father was often found coaching the sons at football and wrestling in his obituary the father's obituary it, the obituary said strangely enough that the father was sometimes hard on his sons in terms of his style of coaching but quote he loved his boys more than anything now the mother eventually remarried uh, she, you know, posts a ton of photos on her Facebook page. July 28th, she shared a photo of um, Trevor for his 19th birthday. And she wrote, quote, happy 19th birthday, Trevor. So proud and lucky to be able to call you my son. You're an old soul and you amaze me every day with all that you enjoy to explore and do. Yeah, wonder if she's amazed now. I love that you have no fear of trying new things. Yes. <laughs> and you truly are the best brother ever. I am so beyond proud of the man you are becoming. I love you. So clearly this mother um, was not anticipating that he could have done something like this. Well, we'll stop here for this first segment. And when we come back, I will tell you about um, what the aunt had to say and what his neighbors had to say, though that's always so interesting because, you know, these are the people who tell you the truth, right? So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about who is the New Year's Eve jihadi and why should we care? Well, um, I was talking to you in the last segment about how um, the New Year's Eve jihadi, whose name is Trevor Bickford, 19 years old, uh, from a country town, a, a um, you know, a very uh, American, a small town, um, and uh, really, um, and who had uh a Norman Rockwell childhood was in every kind of, um, you know, his life would have, could have been a picture, a Norman Rockwell picture. But up until his father's death by suicide in 2018, and that's when he started um, converting and uh, to Islam 
and then ultimately becoming radicalized not long before he came to Times Square on New Year's Eve and attacked two police um, with a machete with hoping to be killed by them, martyrdom by cop. Now, um, his aunt uh, has has, uh, talked to the New York Times and she is telling more of his backstory to understand. He actually attacked three police officers, but um, the third one, he didn't, he didn't, He didn't, I mean, he tried to attack three, but only two of them were injured. Um, Now, he told them afterwards that he came to New York, quote, in order to kill people and carry out jihad. Um, He was first charged with attempted murder in the first degree and attempted assault. But as I mentioned before, he now finally got charged with terrorism. He converted to Islam within the past year. And, oh, yes, I left out the most important part. Before hitting the officer, any of the, the first officer, presumably any of the officers, um, hitting him over the head with a long knife, a a machete, he said, Allahu Akbar, of course. Um, He then charged another officer and he dropped the knife accidentally in the process. And so he tried to grab for that officer's gun. Now, um, I think I mentioned his plan originally was to go to Afghanistan and fight for the terrorists. Okay, so his aunt is named Muriela Dantilio. And she is very, the reason why she um, spoke to the New York Times and presumably other uh, media as well is because she's very upset that they are calling him a terrorist. She said um, she said that her he's only depressed. He's just a depressed boy. Quote, he's not a terrorist, and I want that label off him. You know, it always oh, it's always so disappointing and shocking and everything else when the families of these terrorists, just like really um, families of mass killers or school shooters, oh, what? My son did that? Or my my nephew did that? Um, So she is the maternal aunt to Trevor, and um, she said that his father, Trevor's father, had anger problems and that he pushed Trevor to play football and wrestle at his school, like he pushed him too hard. Um, His brother, Devin, was more like his father and joined the military because that was a family tradition, but Trevor was different. He was quiet, she said. Um. When Trevor's mother remarried, the her sons clashed with her new husband, she said. So in his final months of high school, um, last year, he, he had a bad last year of high school. Um, he and his girlfriend broke up. He started missing classes. He was staying closed off in his bedroom. And this was troubling to his mother, who at one point took took him to a doctor. So the aunt said that the mother kept saying, quote, I don't know how to get him out of his room. Um, The aunt said at some point, Trevor began to identify as a Muslim, spending time praying and reading the Quran, though the family wasn't sure how he got introduced 
to this religion. Then around Christmas, the relations between Trevor and his family got worse. They deteriorated even more. He started saying things, um, disapproving remarks about a relative's sexual orientation and got into a fight with his brother, you know, because of course, um, radical Islam, uh, well, not even, but you know, they don't go along, they don't believe in homosexuality. Um, he said he would go to Afghanistan and join the Taliban. So the aunt says that his mother said, um, I think he's lost his mind. I think he's being brainwashed. So the aunt tried to get his mother to have his mental health evaluated. Um, not sure how doesn't see, that does not seem to have either happened or to have helped. Um, the mother went to the local police, but they dismissed any worries. You know, that also is typical. I mean, but could you imagine a small town um, They where they wouldn't really, a small town in Maine, they wouldn't, there aren't many terrorists or that we know of, let's put it that way, in, in small towns in Maine. So they dismissed her worries. Um, so then the mother called the FBI and he left the house. And the mother called the um, police department on December 10th. You know, this is when things were getting heated. Uh, his son was, her son was beginning, Trevor was beginning to show uh, more apparent signs of being very radicalized. Um, the, but the, the, main, the police department did notify um, the FBI. So the, the police, the Wells, the town, Wells, Maine, the police captain said, um, quote, the, the Times Square attack was as much of a surprise to us as it was to anyone else. He was certainly flying under the radar. Really? Flying under the radar? The mother contacted you and told you about this. What do you mean he was flying under the radar? He was flying under the radar because you weren't paying attention. Now, this is what the neighbors said. Um, so he, um, Trevor worked in his hometown. He worked for Resurrection Golf, which was a groundskeeping company that works the greens at the nearby Old Marsh Country Club. And that is about five minutes from his family's home. Again, so, so wholesome, right? Um, now, someone, one of the neighbors who was interviewed said about the family, quote, they've always been really quiet. Um, then they spoke to a local high schooler who described Trevor as, quote, normal and quiet. Um, then they said that he, quote, found religion, unquote, after his father's death. Quote, a, then they, a senior um at Wells High School, which is where he went, uh, a, a young woman said, quote, it seemed like his dad died and then he started. Um, th that's when she began noticing his wearing, quote, religious garb in photos on his mother's Facebook page. So interestingly, his mother posted face photos of him in religious garb. Um, she didn't realize at that point that this, he was going to get radicalized. Then they asked to some people at the local main diner and gift shop 
which is where um, which is where Trevor and his mother used to work. And they said that this is uh, that they were like family in town. Um, they said that the that uh, Trevor and his mother never talked about his reported conversion to Islam. Um, but as he became more extreme in his views, including going wanting to go fight in Afghanistan along uh, Islamic militants, that's when the mother and aunt um, contacted contacted the police and the FBI and so on, and he got on their watch list. Um, they were shocked. Neighbors were shocked that the quiet local boy, Trevor Bickford, allegedly became a radicalized Muslim and attacked three NYPD cops. Um, okay, the, the, this town, Wells, uh, has a quiet, a quaint main street with boutiques and restaurants that cater to tourists. They only have about 11,000 residents. Um, he traveled on an Amtrak train to get to New York. So that's what the mother, the mother and the um and the uh aunt have, have to say about him. Now, let's see. Um oh, I, I started to mention about how he wanted to target, quote, a uniformed officer because he considered people in uniform an enemy of the state. And again, that's the Islamic state. Um, he, now it, it, there are reports or the, the, actually Trevor told the police after he was caught that he had hatched this plot as recently as Friday, you know, New Year's Eve was Saturday night. And so, um, I don't know, he sent, he, he wanted to uh, assault police officers or someone with a gun. And he supposedly made, if I guess, finalized. I mean, he had to have had somewhat of these plans before he drove, I mean, drove, before he took a train to New York City. But um, I guess he finalized his plans on Friday. Um he was a lone wolf. He so far they haven't connected him to a particular Islamic extremist group, um, but they are still investigating. They're looking through his cell phone or his computer and so on to see who he would have been radicalized by. Now again, um, the it's it's significant. Um, that he screamed Allahu Akbar. I mean, of course, that is a terrorist thing, a uh, a um, pathognomonic of a terrorist. Um, but so he the, he told the cops that he after he was um, he told a detective after he was arrested that he waited until he saw an officer alone, and he said Allahu Akbar. He walked up to him. He screamed it, of course, and walked up to him and hit him over the head with the machete. And um, it was a particular kind of machete that was uh, of South Asian origins, a, a big machete. And um, the thing that's significant is that Allahu Akbar is usually translated into the English language as meaning God is great. Now, who could who could um, 
complain about, you know, every, I mean, not everybody, but people who believe in God certainly wouldn't um, find anything wrong with the statement, God is great. But the, the real translation of Allahu Akbar means Allah, Allah is greater. Um, it's a proclamation of superiority. So what is being said is actually that Allah, the God of Islam, is greater than your God or your government or your atheistic belief system or your society or your culture or anything else. It is greater than. So, um, and, and then the violence that accompanies this cry, you know, before an attack of some sort, whether it's two cops in Manhattan or, or a bomb, you know, somewhere, the violence that accompanies this cry is meant to demonstrate this superiority, that Allah is greater and is punishing you for worshiping lesser beings. So um, I will stop here for this segment. And when we come back, um, I'm going to talk to you about um, the his the charges, these terrorism charges, and so on, and also about how there have been many, there have been three other uh, Muslim terror or radical Islamist uh, knife attacks on the NYPD in eight years. Three. Um, terrorist attacks on NYPD in, in eight years. Now that doesn't sound like a lot, but um, but knife, oh, that's because I'm saying it wrong. Three Muslim knife attacks um, on NYPD in eight years. Yes, there were, uh, of course, other kinds of attacks in New York, <laughs> radical Islamist attacks. Um, okay, so when we come back, we will talk more about that. I'll tell you all about these other attacks. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about who is the New Year's Eve jihadi and why should we care? I hope you've been <laughs> realizing why we should care as I've been going along. Um, maybe let me just uh, sort of kind of restate that um, in case it hasn't been clear that one of the reasons why, I mean, of course, well, a couple of reasons. One reason is because this is, uh, and it's a reminder that, as I said, um, that terrorists haven't given up, that they still want to attack us and take us, take over the West and so on. And this is a, an interesting a reminder on New Year's Eve that, that, that that's still happening, like wake up, you know, they, this is uh, an example. But what's also maybe even more disturbing, because we really should know that um, uh, terrorists haven't given up, but what's more disturbing is that here is a young man, 19 years old, um, Trevor Bickford, who had a, a life almost uh, too good to to be true, like almost you know he was in every choir and and football and, and champion football, and he won an art project uh, uh, competition, and he was on the honor roll. All these things that are really um, exemplary. Not many kids could have all these things on their uh, resume. Um, really a picture, a Norman Rockwell picture. And yet he, after his father's um, death, suicide, and after other bad things had happened, a breakup with his girlfriend, for example, um, 
and his mother marrying uh, a new man and his brother um, going off into the military, you know, all of these things um, happening, changing. His life went suddenly from, from Americana to a disaster in his mind, to, to nobody, um, you know, that wholesomeness taken away. So, um, so that really is a key, you know, perhaps the most important part of this, that really how many other young teenagers are there who didn't start out with as wholesome a background and who, because of the, you know, the lockdowns and the, just the general state of, I mean, you've, I'm sure you've read and heard in the media about um, the mental illness, you know, the, the problems, mental problems, I don't mean you know, I'm not talking about psychosis, but like the mental problems, depression, anxiety, um, all kinds of mental problems that teenagers are having and kids for that matter, but the teenagers are having more than ever before, more visits to the emergency room, more, um, you know, more signs um, in all the polls. It, it, certainly the figures are higher than ever before of how um disturbed people are especially teenagers because their life was taken away from them for two years you know with the lockdowns and so on and just all the other changes in the world that they certainly hear about every day all the divisiveness in this country and and things and then putin and in ukraine and threatening threatening nuclear war and i mean you know certainly everybody hears these things and teenage years are the years when um, they are trying to form an identity and make a plan for the rest of their life. And so they are particularly vulnerable to being radicalized. And, um, and that is what happened to Trevor Bickford. Um, first, he converted to Islam for about, you know, after his father's death, like he was looking for something, he was looking for a purpose, looking for to belong to something, because he felt suddenly adrift, and angry at his father, and perhaps guilty, you know, kids always, when a parent suicides, you know, it, we've, we've actually seen in the news recently, um, some other examples of famous people, famous parents, um, who suicided, and not thinking about um, or putting their own their own problems ahead of um, what is going to happen to their children when they kill themselves, because children never get over it. I have I have treated countless children who have had um, parents suicide. Not, I mean, you know, not countless. <laughs> I mean, I can't give you a specific number, but enough for me to tell you the impact that it leaves on them. Children blame themselves for their parents' suicide. Um, and so it really can be disruptive. Also, you know, it, just as I was talking about um, earlier, his father, although he was hard on him um, and his other brothers, um, for you know to get them to succeed and so on and in football and wrestling and all these things and in general i'm sure and and all these things that he did most likely were to make his father proud of him and his mother you know and they posted things on his parents posted photos um of him and his two brothers on social media they were so proud of them so of course that's going to make a child try even harder to um to to do well to to you know to, to get honors and and to make them proud 
So when his father, this this number one cheerleader of his, killed himself, I mean that just that just totally uh, upset his value system because you know here my father is telling me to do all these things and to try hard and work hard and all of this, and then he kills himself. It like totally, um, you know, it's like an explosion in his mind. So um, now Trevor Bickford finds himself um, faced with terrorism charges. Um, so he attacked three police officers with a machete. He struck two of them. Um, he finally, this past Friday, a Manhattan jury returned an indictment against him and they added terrorism charges to the other offenses that he was already facing, which were two counts of attempted murder of a police officer and two counts of attempted assault. So his intention uh, that he has made clear was to uh, carry out jihad when he went to New York. Um, but starting, presumably, starting with uh, or jihad of these officers wanting martyrdom by cop. Um, perhaps if he had been, if he hadn't been shot or in the shoulder, he would have continued and, and knifed some of the other people in the crowd. Um, anyway, he his his they have been finding some things in his online postings, which is presumably why they added this terrorism charge. You know, they've been investigating him in all different ways since New Year's Eve, and they found online postings that included some mention of Islamic extremist views. So that's why they added this terrorism charge that it wasn't just a random, you know, a, a teenager who run ran amok. So now I was saying that I um, there were three Muslim knife attacks on NYPD officers in the past eight years, and this is one way to defund the police. Um, so now in his town, um, which isn't a big hub of Islamic terrorism, uh, if they want to wage jihad, they have to go to more exciting places to kill infidels in the name of Allah to get their 72 virgins. And um, there were here are some of the other people who um, who were radical Islamists and who uh, knifed cops. Um, there was before him in November. There was Xavier Pelkey, 19 years old, from Waterville, Maine. So another Maine. Maybe there are more terrorists in Maine than we assume. Um, his town was has a population of 15,000, and he was indicted for joining ISIS and plotting to kill some Shiites at a mosque in Chicago. He, Pelkey, and three other jihadists intent, intended to, quote, enter the Shiite enter the Shia mosque and separate the adults from the children and then murder the adults. Well, they were at least going to save the children. And then they were going to go on to a synagogue. Um, it did not get very much coverage. I had not heard about that. Um, and he had his, he had changed his name uh, to Abdullah, servant of Allah. 
and um, his two other pals who were going to help him. So he was 19 and his two pals who were going to help him were a 15 year old in Chicago and a 17 year old in Kentucky. And they had assembled hand painted ISIS flags and homemade bombs to attack this mosque in Chicago. Um, Xavier told the police that he wanted to be a martyr and die while fighting in the cause of Allah. Um, now, Trevor might have been jealous that a Xavier or Abdullah, whatever you want to call him, um, beat him out by a month, that he was the first uh, terrorist out of Maine and um, who took a train to New York City and uh, for the juiciest target, of course, Times Square at New Year's Eve. Then there was another uh, terrorist in September this past uh, September, there was a, now let's see, he had, he, they, he had done his, um, well, this man, Dezenon Kamovic, he was sentenced to, to in, oh, in September, he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Uh, Zenon Karnovic, he is a Bosnian illegal alien. And he approached police officers um, who were trying to keep the 2020s, the, the Black Lives Matter looters at bay. Um, he stabbed a Haitian police officer in the neck. He seized his gun and shot at an Indian American police officer while yelling Allahu Akbar. Um, and he said, religion made me do it. And then his lawyers tried to say, even though he had ISIS materials on his computer and so on, I, his lawyers said he has been struggling with untreated mental health issues, and he comes from a hardworking, loving family. Well, 30 years from now, he's going to be deported back to Bosnia to join, rejoin his loving family. Then another one before these two. Um, there was Zayim Baruch Abdul Malik, who went after four cops with a hatchet in 2014. He was born Zale Thompson, and he was a convert like Trevor. He was converted to Islam. Um, they These three people who I was just talking to you about don't have much in common except their religion and their determination to kill New York City cops for Allah. So, all right, I guess, I guess the key is, I mean, it seems, still seems like too small, but three, only three um, radical Muslim knife attacks on NYPD officers in eight years, that, that still seems like too small a number. But anyway, um, so, and two out of the three people that I mentioned were um, Muslim converts. And again, that kind of, that speaks to them feeling lost and needing purpose and needing, uh, wanting to belong to some group. Um, and there's a growing number of Americans who are converting to Islam and they are being considered the foot soldiers in the jihad because converts have been viewed by radical Islamists who are more, um, you know, who um, 
are more involved in the organization, um, the converts have been viewed as dumb and expendable by Muslim terrorist groups. And how better to kill Americans than to recruit other Americans to do the killing without risking Arab Muslim lives? So, you know, people who get converted and then get radicalized don't realize that they are pawns. Um, let's see. Now, none of these terrorists that I just talked about managed to kill a cop, but between them, they wounded seven police officers. And two of these attacks were in the last three years. And yes, they should have gotten more attention than they have gotten um, to try to discourage people um, from that. And, um, and part of, you know, it, it doesn't, there were other, yes, there are other uh, radical Islamists who did um, stab like one of them, Farid Mumunis in 20, he was sentenced in 2022 after stabbing an FBI agent during a raid in Staten Island. Um, they planned, he and a friend planned to set off a pressure cooker bomb to take out law enforcement personnel who had been tracking them. And it also doesn't count, these three also does, don't count uh, Awayas Shudari. He is a Pakistani immigrant who pleaded guilty in 2022. I'm sure you've heard of him. Well, I hope you've heard of him. To, he pleaded guilty in 2022 to plotting an ISIS stabbing spree in New York City. And there are other, um, let's see, there are many other attempted terror plots that we don't hear about because they get foiled. Um, so, you know, we've, we've, after 9-11, these plots have become background noise in our lives. And um, we ignore these stories. We just kind of, we've gotten, um, we've gotten uh, so used to them that we don't get alarmed as much as we should. And um, I mean, even, you know, the three the knife attacks that I was just talking about, it's like people hear the number, oh, okay, well, that doesn't sound like too much, right? And and so then it's easier to ignore it. But, um, you know, just this current, this New Year's Eve attack, 2022-23 that I was just talking about, um, you know, somewhere in America, a man is probably sitting in a room watching it all go down and taking notes. And then at, at some point in the future, a few months, a year, we may find out his name and find out how good his notes are. Well, thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Um, I'm here a terrorist. I, I was just going to say, I hope you en enjoyed this story. I hope you appreciated this story. It's a really, um, it's really an important story to when we look at where especially teenagers are today, how lost they are, and how important it is to get them back on the right track before they pick a track like Trevor Bickford did and become a radicalized Islamist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist.
If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.